say, and it's always an honor for me to be speaking here at FFN because this is home for me. So every time I, I come up here and it's just amazing just having this opportunity. And this opportunity is a little different. I have the opportunity to uh, speak two weeks in a row. So this is my first time doing a series. So we'll see how it goes. And Pastor Don, he's the king of sermon, uh, sermon series. He loves series. So I'm going to try my best to uh, be like him in that way. And honestly, I was a little intimidated, intimidated to preach today because it's the week after Easter. And Easter is the, the craziest, biggest Sunday for us as believers, amen? I mean, uh, of course it is. That's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And it's so amazing that every day we have this resurrecting power, the celebration of Easter, and we come together for one Sunday morning and we celebrate that. And we were able even to celebrate our young people as we were able to raise enough money to start building for our gymnasium. Let's just give God praise for that. Last week, we had an offering come in for about $300,000. It was crazy, super crazy. So all this hype coming, we even had breakfast last, year, last week, hallelujah. So like, it's kind of like this idea of now what? Does anyone else ever feel that, you know, after Easter, we have this big Sunday celebration, and then you're like, okay, now what? You know, all this hype, you know, now what? And as I look at Scripture, you know, I, I can imagine that the disciples went through the same thing if not even more than we did. Because we need to remember that the disciples encountered Easter with their own eyes. Like, think about it. One of your best friends, someone you look up to, a mentor, a teacher, a friend, is killed. And then he, died, he, he raises from the grave. That's already crazy. And not only that, he's walking through walls. And then he says, peace out. And he ascends up to heaven. Like, talk about an exit. That was awesome, Jesus. But you got to imagine how the disciples were feeling in this moment. Like, now what? Jesus just shocked the whole world, rose from the grave, and now he's back in heaven, and now we're stuck. Like, what do we do now, right? And when I begin to look at Scripture, when I begin to see the the book of Acts and the remaining uh, books in the New Testament, when I look at the response of the disciples, I can think of one word, unashamed. The disciples were unashamed. We see that even in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down onto earth in that upper room, those those disciples and those believers in that room, they were unashamed. They were unapologetic. When I look through Scripture and I see that Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, that man was unashamed. We see the story in Acts when when Stephen the martyr, a young man killed for preaching the gospel, he was unashamed. The disciples were unashamed. But that leaves me with this question, church. Are we unashamed? Are we unashamed of the gospel? Think about your own life right now as a follower of Jesus. Are you truly unashamed of Jesus Christ or has the world influenced you in such a way that you've been a Christian full of fear, timidity, and confusion? Because to be honest with you, I see this in today's world. I see this in today's church where we've become fearful. Where in a way, we're actually romanticizing our problems. We see everything that's happening in society. We turn on the news and we see chaos. We turn on Instagram, we see chaos. We go to work, we see chaos. We become fearful. And it's like we don't know what to do. We don't have the answers. And so much so that we're willing to compromise our convictions and compromise what we've been taught in Scripture because we're afraid that people are going to criticize us. Is that us this morning? Because that's not what we're called to be. We're not just called to be some people that just show up on Sunday morning and sing some songs and drink some coffee and show up to work keeping our mouths shut. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be unashamed. We're called to be fearless. We're called to be unapologetic about our gospel. One of my favorite verses, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the world has to say. It doesn't matter what culture has to say. It doesn't matter what my family members say. I will choose to be unashamed because being unashamed of Jesus, it's your choice. The title of this mini-sermon series I'm going to be doing for the next two weeks is called The Unashamed Church. I want God to look down here in little old Centerville, Michigan and say, those people are unashamed. Those people are unapologetic about the gospel. Those people, my people, when they show up to work, they stand tall. When they show up to school, they stand tall. They have convictions against what their classmates have to say. They are the unashamed church. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, okay, I want to be unashamed. But how do I do that? How do we live a life unashamed for Jesus in 2022? Two things need to happen in our lives to be confident in Christ. And the first one that I want to go through this week is our worship. A confident worshiper will be a confident Christian, period. If you are not confident in your worship, you will not be an unashamed believer. You will not live out the calling that God has for you if you are not confident and passionate in your worship. So today, as we're going to open up the scripture in Romans, I want to walk us through this idea of how are we unashamed with our worship. You guys ready to jump into the word? All right, so Romans 12, chapter 1, or Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word. I pray that as we hear these words that are coming out of the Bible, God, I pray that we receive it with our hearts, God. Holy Spirit speak. In Jesus' name, everyone said? So this idea of worship, this idea of passion, we're called, like we should be passionate about our worship, right? Maybe it is your first time, and maybe you feel a little uncomfortable because people are jumping People are waving flags. But that's, that's how we express worship here at FFM. We are passionate people. And when I think of the word passion, I think of sports. I, sp- I think of how passionate we are about our sports teams. Because any real fan of a sports team, they're going to be passionate. They're going to yell at the TV. They're... <laughs> They're going to do many things. If, you know our, if you've seen our pastor on the softball fields, give him some grace on that day because he's going to be very passionate. Think of sports, and in my own life, I've been also very passionate about my sports teams. And I haven't as much anymore because I've gotten a little distracted uh, since that beautiful girl in the front row showed up in my life. So I haven't been keeping up with sports as much as Kobe was. Sometimes I feel embarrassed when I come to Kobe. I'm like, bro, I saw the Bulls won. He's like, yeah, bro, you see this guy, this guy, this guy, they all got going this. I mean, this guy knows everything of every basketball player, every athlete in the world. He knows what's going on with them. He knows their marriage life. Like, he knows everything about sports. So it, sometimes I feel a little scared when I come up to him and ask him about the Bulls game. But anyways, I was, I was like that in middle school, in elementary, even some in high school. And I was very passionate about LeBron James, who we all know is the greatest of all time. But anyways, I have the mic today. So anyways, very passionate. I have the mic, young man. I, I love... I love to show my passion about LeBron James. And I have a friend, Tyler Carpenter, who is very passionate about his hatred against LeBron James. (laughs) And surprisingly, we are still friends today. It's only by the spirit, really. But um, we were so passionate about our love and hate for LeBron James that in 2016, for those of you who know, the Cleveland Cavaliers were facing the Golden State Warriors in the national championship. And we decided to place a little bet. And the bet was, if Golden State Warriors win the NBA Finals, which was his team, I would have to braid my hair like a little girl. I I would have to braid it, dreads, you know. And 
But if the Cleveland Cavaliers won, which was my team, Tyler would have to shave his head. And maybe you don't know how the, the, the outcome of the game was. You might be wondering, who won that? Well, let me just play this video to answer your question. All right, well, uh, we had a bet that if the Cavs win, he shaves his head. Oh, uh, this is great. I mean, look at that. Let me, oh, that, that is nice, dude. Cavs Nation, LeBron Nation. Come on, LeBron Nation, baby. Let's give Tyler a hand. He look good. He look good. You see that glory? Oh, it's not on there anymore. There was like a glory, shiny piece on his head. So the Cavs won. He had to shave his head. It was the greatest day of my life. So as you can tell, I was very passionate, right? I was very passionate about my team. And because, because I was so passionate about my team, I had faith in them. And I could back up my passion with confidence and say, you know what, let's place a bet because you're shaving your head tonight. You know, I was very confident in my team. How confident are you in God this morning? How passionate are you in God this morning? Do you have more faith in your football team or in God? Do you express as much passion into God as much as you do in your football team? And this is a very important question, and this is how we need to come into our passion with worship, because this is the truth, church. Your greatest confidence in life will come out of what you worship the most. Whatever you worship the most, you're going to be the most confident in. If you worship money more than anything else, you're going to be confident in that paycheck. You're going to be confident in your bank account. If you worship sports more than anything, you will never compromise a football game, even if you got to miss discipleship at church. Whatever you worship the most will flow out of your greatest confidence in what that is. And when you build a passionate and consistent worship lifestyle, your faith and confidence in God will begin to grow so much. I'm telling you guys, if you don't get anything this morning, get this. If you become a passionate worshiper, you're going to be a passionate Christian, and you're going to stand out, and God's going to use you. You will be available for the Spirit of God to work in your life if you will open up yourself to be a confident worshiper. So this concept of what is worship in our life, I'm going to walk through three points today on what worship should be in our lives. It is worship is our response, worship is our offering, and worship is our invitation. So as we look at point number one, it says worship is our response. Worship is our response. So as we look at the scripture, Romans 12 verse 1, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers. So I want to stop right there. It says, I appeal to you. Maybe your version says, I beseech you, or I I urge you, brothers and sisters. So what this is, it's reminding us that Paul, he appeals to our will. So pretty much what Paul is saying in the scripture is, hey, I'm about to tell you something, but it's up to you. Like, it's up to you if you want to make that choice or not. Because God gives us the free will to choose whether we live for him or whether we live for the world. It's a choice. So as we continue, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. So how do we translate to English? Living sacrifice. Pretty much what Paul is saying is, hey, I'm about to tell you something. It's it's optional, but it's the greatest option. Give your life to God. The simplest way you can say offer your body as a living sacrifice, give your life to God. But before he gets there, he says the word, therefore. I beseech you, therefore, brothers. Pastor Don would always teach me as a Bible student that whenever you see the word therefore, it is therefore a reason. So pay attention. He's a very deep teacher, guys. So when we look at this word, therefore, it's an adverb. It's a connecting word that connects a current statement with a past action or information. So the current statement is what? Give your life to God. Give your life to God. And then we see that Paul connects it to the mercies of God, right? Because whenever someone comes in your life and they tell you something very radical to do, like, hey, 
you should pack up all your things and move to Alaska, Colton. Just move to Alaska. What's our first response? Why? Why? Why are you going to move to Alaska? Right? So something radical like going to Alaska has to be connected to a good reason. Right? And if you would ask Colton, he gave a great reason. God called me to go. And I was like, amen. Just come back. (laughs) And he did. Praise God. But he responded to what it was connected to. And in this same place right here, we got to remember that Paul is talking to the Roman people. And if you know, the Romans did not like religion, period. They just loved themselves. So for, for, for someone to come to them and say, hey, give your life to God, he had to have a reason. And his reason was by the mercies of God. This reminds us that The reason why we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, the reason why we give our lives to God is by his mercies. And what I love what Paul did is we see from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11, right before this chapter, Paul gives and explains many different reasons why we should do that. And I'm going to go ahead and read some. So we see in Romans, Paul says, we are free from the penalty and power of sin. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for that. We are sons and daughters of Jesus through adoption. I'm a child of God. Doesn't matter what the world has to say. We've been placed under grace and not the law. Can someone just thank God for some grace this morning? Some mercy that I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have my wife. I don't deserve to have the blessings of God. But by his grace, he gives it to us. We've been given the Holy Spirit to live within us. Glory. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. To be honest, can I be honest this morning? I don't know where my marriage would be if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. Thank you, God. We have a promised help in all affliction. We have an assurance of standing in God's election. We have confidence of coming glory. We have confidence in God's continued faithfulness. And lastly, we have an assurance that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. All of these powerful truths were described in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And now Paul is giving them an opportunity to respond to that. Worship, in the simplest way I could, I could define, worship is when everything I am responds to everything God is. That's what worship is in my life. I really appreciate all of you guys who took some time to comment on my Facebook post uh, this week. I sent out, you know, what is worship to you? And I saw amazing different answers. Worship is surrender. Worship is giving all of my life to God. Worship is an everyday opportunity. And those are beautiful truths. Worship is when everything I am responds to everything God is. And when we live a life constantly thinking about the goodness and faithfulness of God, we will begin to see more worship happen in our lives. Gratitude gives us space for worship to take place. Always. Gratitude gives space for worship to take place. That is the greatest place to be in worship. Gratitude. But sadly, many of us, because we don't seek gratitude, we're never in a place to receive or to give worship because we're responding to the wrong things. How are you responding this morning? Whether whether it's the, the music here in the building, whether it's this word I'm giving, how are you responding? Because here's another truth. Your heart responds to what your mind dwells on the most. How are you responding? What are you thinking about? What is your mind dwelling on in your life? Because another truth we know is life is hard, amen? Life can slap you in the face sometimes, amen? But it's up to you how you respond to it. It's all up to you how you respond to life. Because It's not your fault that you were broken, that you were born into a broken family. It's not. But it's up to you if you're going to change your household. It's it's not your fault that your dad wasn't there. 
but it's up to you if you're going to be there for your kids. It's not your fault that every person in your life was addicted to sexual sin and pornography and all those things, but it's up to you if you're going to be a slave to it. And the problem is many times we blame the people that went before us instead of taking ownership of what we got going on and actually manning up and actually fixing our problems. Because of God's grace, because of God's grace, because of that cross, you have the opportunity to respond differently. You do not have to be a slave to the sins of your father. You do not have to be a slave to the sins that you have seen generation after generation after generation. I'm a third generation Christian. My grandma made a choice. My grandparents on the other side, they made a choice. We will not be slaves to religion. We will not be slaves to legalism. They made a choice. They responded to the, to the voice of the Lord. They didn't respond to the world. And that's where it comes down to. What are you responding to? Because the first failure always happens in our thoughts. That's where the first failure always happens. Especially being a past addict, I understand this. And I had to come to the realization that my greatest failure didn't happen when I drank the drink or when I opened up my phone to watch the video. The first failure happened two hours before that when I dwelled on the thoughts I shouldn't have been thinking. The thought is where the first failure happens. Because we think when it comes to addiction, when it comes to struggling with different things, we think, we think that, oh, you know, let's say falling into sin represents falling off a cliff, right? For some reason, we think that just one decision would get us to fall off the cliff, but it's like me being out here and just making one jump off the cliff. But no, here how it, hap- here how it happens. You have one thought. And you dwell on it. Man, that wife, she just frustrates me so much. Man, these guys, these guys at work, they frustrate me so much, I hate this place. <laughs> Somebody say, amen. Say it again. Some of them are in this room. Say it again. <laughs> thoughts after thoughts. Little thoughts, little compromises of our convictions. Oh, it's just one movie. You know, yeah, it just has two sex scenes. No problem. No, no, it's just the water cooler. She's just a friend. That's, it's, it's nothing. You know, it's nothing. And we slowly make small choices, and for some reason, everything crashes, and we're like, how'd I get here? It's because you didn't make the decision back here to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, stop doing that, stop thinking about that, stop thinking about that, but you just kept thinking about it. We're going to talk about it more next week. In in verse 2, it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because the order of action is mind, heart, hands. You think about it, your heart dwells on it and responds to it, and and you start doing it. And, and I've been talking about some negative things with that idea, but you know that this could be a positive thing. This could be a positive order. Start thinking about the good things of God. Start thinking about it. Think about it all the time. As soon as, as the attitude creeps up, as soon as you start in your mind complaining about your work, just be like, God, you know what? I'm grateful I got a job because a lot of people don't. You're going to start complaining about your family members. Start thinking, you know what? They're actually here, and they're actually with me. Some people don't have family members in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. The little thoughts, because those thoughts will begin to dwell in your mind, then in your heart, you will begin to respond with gratitude. Wow, I don't have to have, everyone else has a terrible attitude at work, but I don't. I don't have to do that. I'm not going to let them dictate how I'm feeling. I'm not going to let them dictate how I'm going to respond to the things of work. Respond in gratitude, and all you're going to want to do is respond with worship and express it. Colossians 3, chapter two, verse 2 says this, Set your mind on the things of above. So did you know that as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be thinking about things on this earth? We shouldn't be thinking about the drama that's going on in our family. We shouldn't be thinking about the chaos happening in the White House. We shouldn't be dwelling on those things. It says, dwell 
Set your minds on the things of above. And responding with worship fuels our faith and trust in God. So we have, we have an opportunity to practice worship every day. We see in John chapter 4, verse 24, it says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So as we, we know, worship is our response. And when I read this verse, it doesn't say God is looking for those who worship with him with guitar and with piano. It doesn't say I'm looking for those who worship with voice and some pads. It says the worship in spirit and in truth. One thing we must remember in our worship is that worship isn't a song. It's a heart posture. We somehow, for some reason, we, we get this idea when we think of the word worship, we think of Sunday morning from, from 10 to 1045. But it's so much deeper than that. Because when you think about worship at its core, it's not fleshly. It's not carnal. Worship, you can't hear it with your ears. You can't touch it with your hands or see it with your eyes. Worship at the core is spiritual. Because if we just say, oh yeah, worship is music, then Bruno Mars and Nicki Minaj, they're worshipers too? Definitely not. They play music. But worship comes deeper in the core. And worship must come from the depths of our hearts in spirit. Because this is why I'm, this is why I'm excited about talking about this topic. Because I'm the first one in the room to say, we're going to play some instruments. Who else besides me is going to say more? We're going to play some instruments and we're going to do it right in worship. I have my friend here, Diamond and Alicia. Can we just give them a hand? Thank you guys for coming. So uh, me and my friend Diamond, we make uh, hip hop together, gospel rap together. And in, oh, we got a fan. Ooh, yeah. We're on Spotify. <laughs> so man, when we're in the studio, we're making hip hop music. We're not, it's, you're not hearing Elevation. You're not hearing Bethel, but we worshiping. It's how we want to worship, right? So as a musician, I'm the first one to say, yep, we're going to have the nice instruments. We're going to have it set up like this. I know people who are on my worship team sometimes might get frustrated with how, like, excellent I want worship to be. I'm the first person to say, we're going to play some instruments for God. But I'm also the first person to say that God isn't looking for a musician. God's not looking for someone who can play guitar. God's not looking for someone who can rap. God's not looking for someone who can wave flags. He look, he's looking for a heart. So the problem is because we're all about the show, we're all about the excellence and, and, and the instruments and all these things, you know, we've been blessed, praise God. But I feel like sometimes we disqualify ourselves from worship because we can't sing or because we can't play an instrument. And we dictate who's more of a worshiper based on how many instruments they play versus their heart posture. Because if there is a guy on a stage playing an instrument and hitting all the right notes, but he's judging people in the crowd, God, that's not an acceptable worship. And we need to remember that worship just goes so much deeper than instruments. Because God isn't looking for a guitar player. He's looking for a husband that will love and honor his wife. God isn't looking for a drummer. He's looking for someone who's going to make a difference in the RV companies and actually treat bosses with respect. God isn't looking for someone who can sing all the perfect notes. He's looking for someone who will respond to the voice of the Spirit. So I encourage you, if you feel discouraged because, oh, I'm not as much of a worshiper because I can't clap on beat, that's, that's not, you're not called to do that. You're called to live a life as a worshiper. Because when God sees those guys opening the doors, that's just as much as worship as it is in here. The people in the sound booth, the people in the media room, the adults who are sacrificing their Sunday to go take care of uh, all the crazy kids, that's worship. They are worshiping God right now. And God sees that as worship just as much as he sees Maverick City worshiping, just as much as he sees Elevation, just as much as he sees the musicians up here. It is all worship. 
Because worship at its core is a response to the goodness of the Lord. And it says, worship in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? He is worthy. What is the truth? I don't deserve his love, but I got it. What is the truth? He satisfies me more than pornography. What is the truth? He is worthy of all my praise. So it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I have a reason to worship because the Bible says worship in truth. And the truth is, he doesn't change. The truth is, he remains the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm going to choose to worship today. I don't know what's happening in your situation, but I'm going to respond in worship. Let's just take a moment. Let's, re- let's respond to the goodness of God. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We worship you in this place. We give you our praise. We give you our glory, God. You are the King of kings. You'll Come on, lift up your voices. Let's praise the King of kings. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. We thank you for that sacrifice on the cross. You are worthy. You are worthy, God. Hallelujah. We just responded to who he is. So I encourage you. I know your work is not a great place. I had some strong amens in the back. (laughs) But choose to respond in worship, amen? So worship is our response. The second thing worship is, worship is our offering. Turn to your neighbor and say, worship is our offering. That gave me some time to drink the water, so thank you. So, as we continue in the scripture, it says this. So, we saw the first part, right? Paul is saying, I appeal to you. I'm going to give you an option. It's the best option. Give your life to God because he's good. He's worthy. And how he he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So, this calls to mind priestly service. So, spiritually speaking, our bodies are brought to God's altar. Keeping it at God's altar as a living sacrifice keeps the body where it should be. So this is a holy act. God is calling us to bring our bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Now, if, if Paul would say this to, to, the, to the American church in 2022, it might be a little confusing, you know, like a living sacrifice. But it was very, it, it really touched the hearts of his audience during this time because first century people both Jews and pagans, they knew firsthand what sacrifice was all about. And to beg that they make themselves a living sacrifice, that was a striking image. Because as we see in Scripture in the Old Testament, whenever you'd bring a sacrifice to the Lord, it was always an animal or a grain offering. So for years, they were, the Jews, they were used to bringing offerings as an animal right? They would bring a lamb. They would bring sheep. They would bring grain as an offering. But now Paul is, is saying, bring yourself. It's like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And it's also interesting because everything that was put on the altar in the Old Testament died. Like it wasn't, okay, all right, little Jim Bob, we're going to take you to the offering and then we're going to go have a party. Like that was Jim Bob's last day. <laughs> Like, that's how a sacrifice would go. I just made that name up in, on the flow. I don't know. So, so like, no, you guys got to picture this. Like, Paul is saying, offer myself, myself as a living sacrifice? You, you're on the altar, but you don't die. It's a very interesting concept. You are very much alive on the altar. Paul is calling you and I to give our lives to the Lord, to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. From this scripture, from this part of the verse right here, I see one thing. Worship isn't about me. It's about God. Can I, can I give a revelation this morning? Worship ain't about you. <sighs> Worship isn't about me. But how often do I make it about me? Because when we talk about worship, instead of asking the question, what will I get from worship? The question should be, what will I give in worship? And this, this really convicted me because I've been in that place where I treat worship time like Walmart. I treat worship time like Chick-fil-A. What am I going to get this morning? What will I receive in this moment? 
but it should actually be flipped. God, what do you want from me this morning? What can I give? And the problem is many of us struggle with worship simply because we make it about us. Honestly, like, let's be real. We show up on Sunday morning, and we already have a bad attitude because somebody is sitting in my assigned seat because we've made up this made-up rule in church that we got assigned seats. Like, like, I've never seen Donnie sit anywhere else in the last 20 years. He sat in the same place. For some reason, we had this idea of assigned seats, so we showed the church, and we're just like, wow, that's fake. What a fake Christian sitting in my seat. Don't, don't they see the imaginary spiritual name, that name tag on there? We get mad, okay? We, we, we're like, okay, somebody's sitting in my seat. The least I could do is go get a coffee. We show up, and we excited by the Cross Culture Cafe. We about to get that Colton drink, you know. And we show up, and the cafe is closed. They closed 15 minutes early for them to come back and have time to worship. How dare they? So now we got two problems, God. Somebody's sitting in my seat, and I have no caffeine. Okay? All right, whatever. Let's, let's see what five songs they're going to pick again. Of course, Brennan's singing I Thank God Again. <laughs> we get it. I got out of the grave last week. Why do I got to do it again? <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. At least let's just hope Eddie sings the next song. Can, can we just have Eddie lead just a whole set, man? He's just like that father of the... Ch- really? Eddie's not leading again? Ugh. He's singing again? Oh, another prophetic word? Why do they keep interrupting my favorite song? Because the Spirit's moving. Wow, praise God. Wow, man. Man, why can't, why can't we just do the same thing from 10 to 12 every week? Oh, of course, of course, we're going spontaneous. I don't know that song on the screen, guys. Wow, cool. The Spirit is giving you new songs in the moment. Hallelujah. But I don't know how to follow along. Man, come on, God. I got nothing out of this service this morning. And congratulations, you just made worship all about yourself. And then we wonder why we can't hear the voice of God. Because we're too busy talking to him, complaining. And the truth is, worship is what can we get? It shouldn't matter what songs they play. Doesn't matter if they mess up. I'm not here to receive something. I'm here to give something. Because when you truly give to God, he gonna give, he's going to give back in return. He will give back in return every time. Yes, hallelujah. That when you give your life, when you give something, when you offer your life to God, he will automatically give return. And it's so much better than an assigned seat. It's so much better than a coffee. It's deep. It's beautiful. And Maybe you're in this place where you made worship all about yourself. And to be honest, if you're that person this morning, I don't blame you. Because isn't that what the world preaches to us? Get what you got to get. This this world is an animal. Kill if you got to. Right? This is what the world preaches to us. The world's going to say, you can love whoever you want to love. You can define truth any way you want to define truth. If you got to take time to find yourself, whatever that looks like, go ahead and find yourself. This is what the world preaches to us. And I understand partly this idea of finding self, right? Self, self-love, right? Whatever, whatever you want to call it, okay? I, I, I appreciate the heart behind it, but it is not biblical and it's very scary, this idea of self-love, Because here's why. We are the problem. But we somehow made finding self the answer. But how can the problem be the answer? We tell ourselves that we are the answer. I'm going to define my life however I want to define my life. I'm going to pursue love however the way I'm going to pursue love because I'm struggling. So I'm going to find myself. But how can, at the same time, as I'm the problem, at the same time be the answer? It's not a wise way of living, church. 
Because in my life, I've come to find out that the more time I spend trying to find myself, the deeper I fall into sin. And the further away I am from God. Because we need to understand, church, that the devil is working aggressively using Hollywood. He's working aggressively using TikTok, using Facebook, using the world. He's aggressively trying to pull us further and further and further away from the truth. Further and further away from God. But you need to be careful what you're listening to and what you're receiving in your ear. Because this idea that you got to find yourself because you didn't answer, I'm not the answer. Jesus is the answer. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that has no problems. He's the one that set me free from porn. He's the one that set me free from comparison. I didn't waste time trying to find myself. I took my time trying to find God. And it was through this process of giving my life day after day after day. Because we see in Scripture in Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you truly want to love yourself, die to your fleshly desires, right? If you truly love yourself, break up with that toxic boyfriend. If you truly love yourself, stop hanging out with those toxic friends, If you really love yourself, it's going to be a sacrifice. Because finding freedom, it takes work. Finding freedom requires to kill the flesh. Man, if I spent time trying to doing whatever I wanted to do to try to find my way out of pornography, I would still be there and it'd probably look a lot worse. Our greatest act of worship is giving ourselves to God and submitting our lives to him every day. Because worship is also a sacrifice. A sacrifice is painful, but as we look at the scripture, it's his request. So it says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So the the scary thing about this part, holy and acceptable to God, this implies that we can bring an offering of worship that isn't acceptable. Because if it would say, bring whatever, just bring an offering. Bring an offering. And we're like, all right, bet. It's not Jim Bob today. It's going to be the chicken, whatever. But it doesn't say that. It says holy and acceptable. So when we bring an offering of worship, when we, when we do something in our lives to change it to be more like Christ, we need to make a self-reflection and say, is this an offering God will accept? The holiness we bring to the altar is a decision to be set apart. That's what holy means. And yielding to the work of holiness in our life. And as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, God makes our life holy by burning away impurities. Here's the difficult thing about worship, guys. Yes, God is going to give in return. But before that return comes, there has to be a payment. And that payment sometimes hurts, right? You know that song, Refiner? I want to burn for you, only for you. That's the scariest song I have ever heard in my life. Like, you're a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. You just think about it. Like, that's a scary prayer. Clean my hands, purify my heart. All right, sweet. You got to let go of that boyfriend. No, but, but, let me, let me try again. Clean my hands, okay? Go forgive that person. No, let me finish the, the chorus, God. <laughs> clean, clean my hands, purify my heart. You got to deal with that anger issue. Like, we love worshiping God until we got to change us. And it's a scary place. And sometimes I see a pressing happening. I see a burning happening in my life. And I'm just like, why did this? Oh, yeah. I, did, I asked for that, didn't I? Okay. But it's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful 
burning process because if you stay faithful to God in the pressing, in the burning season, you're going to come out being clean. You're going to come out being purified. And that's an amazing place to be. Because you're going to come on a Sunday morning, you're going to say, God, I want to live for you. I offer my life to you. The Spirit's going to start doing something on Monday. And we got to be obedient to what the Spirit is saying in our lives of worship. So when I think about my life, man, when if it wasn't for the burning of God, I would be burning like hell. Because here's one thing I've learned. You're going to burn either way. You're going to go through some pain either way. But it's up to you what type of pain you want to endure. The pain that God's going to take you through that will lead to everlasting life or the pain that the world's going to give you that's going to end you up in hell. Choose your pain wisely. And that might be a little like, yikes, that's scary. But I see that as beautiful because I think of the grace God gave me in those painful seasons. I think of the mercy and I think of his love. And when we take scripture literal, when it says nothing can separate me from the love of God, that means there is no purifying process that can separate me from the love of God. There is no sacrifice I can give that can separate me from the love of God. And when you surrender in your worship and you make yourself available, God's going to grab your hand. He said, let's walk through this together. Because that word living reminds us that God has made us and we are now alive in God in Christ Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. His resurrecting power from the grave gives us full access and availability for his forgiveness and for his grace and for his mercy. And I thank him for that. I am a living sacrifice. That means that through the process of sacrifice, he's not going to kill me. He's going to give me everlasting life. So if, if worship is an offering, we need to ask the question every day, what am I offering to God this morning? Is it my, what am I offering to God this morning? Is it my attitude? Because like I said earlier, God's going to give opportunities for you to respond in worship. What am I going to offer as a sacrifice today? Is it, is it my relationships? Will you have to surrender some relationships to get closer to God? That could be your offering of worship. What, are, what am I offering today? Is it my time? Ooh, that's a big one. That's a big one for us because we love our schedules. We love our Google calendars, and I'm, I'm right there with that. Like, I need to be careful with my time. Are you going to offer an hour tomorrow even though it's the busiest month in your job? Will you offer 30 minutes to wake up 30 minutes earlier to spend time with God even though you love sleep? These are practical offerings of worship we can give each and every day. Am I going to offer my time to my kids today? Am I going to offer time for my wife today? Meaning I'm, I'm going to let my kids go to grandma so I can spend some time with my spouse? Because we're called to date our spouse even after we're married and everything. Be practical with your worship. What am I offering today? And lastly, so we went through two points so far. Worship is our response. Respond in every area of your life with worship and gratitude. The second one, worship is an offering. Sometimes it hurts, but it's going to be worth it. And lastly, worship is an invitation. Turn to your neighbor and say, worship is an invitation. Worship, it's an invitation. It's an, inv it's an invitation for God to move supernaturally. And when we respond to the goodness of God and submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, we have given him an open invitation to work in our lives and meet us intimately in worship. This is what I love about corporate worship, is that we give God space to move. This is why I love my church, that yes, we're going to start every Sunday sometime around 10 o'clock, but we're going to end sometime between 11.30 and 5 o'clock at night. I'm just kidding. For any visitors, was a joke. We try to get out here around. See, I don't even know. <laughs> You'll have lunch. Don't worry. 
Might be a late lunch. But honestly, I love that because we give the Holy Spirit space. The last thing I'd want to do is for the Holy Spirit coming, ready to give a word, but he just can't get in it because we get so locked up in our schedule and he can't move because, oh, the clock made it to 12 o'clock, so the Holy Spirit can't move anymore. That's the last thing I want to do in my life or even in my practical life when I have my devotional time. The last thing I want to do is close my Bible and the Holy Spirit was about to speak to me because when we come together corporately to worship, God is here. And I, I don't only just say that, it's in Scripture. We see in Matthew 18, verse 20, it says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. God is here this morning. On a Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock at a prayer time, and there's four of us, God is there. When you and your wife take time to worship and pray together in the car, God is there. Did you know that some of the most intimate, powerful experiences I've ever had in worship was in the car? Just on a drive, saying, Holy Spirit, come into this car right now. Boom, I'm weeping. God, I love you. And then I stop at a red light. I'm like, God, I love you. Man, if any of y'all saw me at a red light sometime and I was crying, it was probably God, all right? I mean, low-key, I'd be being careful with that. But, um, but honestly, like, we get so caught up in the building. Like, oh, worship just happens in the building. Worship only going to happen on Sunday. Make your living room a place of worship. Make your bedroom a place of worship. Make your shower a place of worship. I'm serious. Because Scripture also says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever I go, the Spirit is there. So back to my brothers that don't like their work very much. You have the Spirit in your heart as a follower of Jesus. It's an invitation for God to move supernaturally. But here's where it gets tricky. We need to invite the Lord Jesus Christ to move. And the reason why I say that and the reason why my heart breaks is that maybe the reason why you struggle with worship today is because you haven't made Jesus your Lord. Maybe he's Jesus the Savior, right? Yep, Jesus, he saved me from sin, death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. But is Jesus your Lord? Because when someone is the Lord of your life, that means they're in charge. And they will dictate how your life looks. Because Jesus' function as Savior, it sets you free from sin. But Jesus' function as Lord calls you to resist sin. Jesus' function as Savior pulls you out from the grave. But Jesus' function as Lord helps you not go back. Jesus' function as Savior gives you the gift of grace, but Jesus' function as Lord keeps you surrendered in repentance and conviction. Why am I saying this? Jesus wants to do so much more than just saving you. He wants to walk with you. He wants, you to, he wants to walk with you on the narrow road and lead you to the life everlasting. Because in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. And if you really want to have abundant life, it takes surrendering Jesus as your Lord. And the beautiful thing about allowing God, allowing Jesus to be your Lord, we see it as a negative thing. Oh, I'm, I, I, me inviting Jesus as Lord, as my leader, I'm not going to be able to do what I want anymore, right? But you got to look at the positive and say, when you invite him to be in charge you're also giving him the space and the invitation to work miracles in the places that seem dead. When you invite Jesus to be Lord, he will come into the areas that feel dead and where there are some dry bones. He's going to rise them up to bring life to where life wasn't. But it's going to have to be a place of invitation. So in closing, 
Your greatest confidence in life will come out of what you worship the most. Amen? Whatever you worship the most or whatever you're most confident in, you will worship it the most. And when you begin to realize that worship is a response, you will grow a confidence in how you should react to the world with worship. Respond to the world with worship. When you begin to realize that worship is an offering, you will grow confidence in who you are, a living sacrifice, a worshiper. And when you begin to realize that worship is an invitation, you will encounter Jesus in the deepest, most intimate ways. And how could you not be ashamed about something like this? How could you live a life of worship and lack passion? Like our brother uh, Papish last week, he said it perfectly when he gave his testimony. Others are going to be passionate about their football teams. I'm going to be passionate about the one that set me free. Are you kidding me? Like, I love my, my sports teams, but my sports teams don't love me. They just happy I bought the jersey because they're making money. Jesus loves me. Jesus has a plan and a purpose for my life. Jesus has called me not to be uh, uh, surrendered to the world, but surrendered to him and give me freedom and life, life abundantly. So I'm going to be passionate about that. I'm going to be confident about that. And I'm not going to let anything in this world keep me from being unashamed in my worship because nobody can take that from me. Because think about it. If worship was an instrument, somebody could steal the guitar and now you can't worship anymore. If worship were some drums and somebody, this is pretty graphic, but someone just cut off my arms and I can't drum anymore, they didn't take my worship. So if worship is spiritual, that means nobody can take it from me. Nobody can take this passion about Jesus from me. No one can take this confidence I have in this word. They can burn all the Bibles on this earth, but it will not stop me from standing true to what it says because I'm called to be unashamed. I'm called to be confident in what God is doing in the church. In case you forgot, Jesus is coming back for you and I. So when I look at what's going on in the world, it doesn't faze me because I know that Jesus is returning for you and I, and I'm going to be confident in that. Come stand with me in this place. I want to take this opportunity for worship to take place. Hallelujah. I mean, if, I, if I'm going to preach on worship, we might as well do some extra worship, right? But this time of worship is going to be a little different. I don't want you to wait for the words to come on the, on, the, on the screen. I don't want you to wait for the bridge to start going crazy. I want you to worship right now. It may look different for each one of us individually. Maybe the emphasis is on the response. You've been responding to the wrong things and you gotta respond to the voice of God. Let this moment be a time to response, a response to his mercies. Maybe for you it's different. Maybe you've made worship all about yourself. Let this moment be a beautiful opportunity of repentance and turning back to your first love and offering yourself to him. And lastly, maybe you've never invited the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Let's take this opportunity. So every eye closed, every head bowed, let's just worship. Posture your heart in whatever way it needs to be. If you, if you worship better sitting down, please sit down. If you worship better standing up, stand up. If you need to walk back and forth, do that. If you want to grab a flag, go for it. But worship however you need to worship right now. Thank you, Jesus. To To worship you, I live. To worship you, I.
to worship you. I 